Welcome to Tell Us About It, Victim Research Convos, a podcast from the Center for Victim Research with support from the Office for Victims of Crime. On each episode of Tell Us About It, we talk to researchers and practitioners about their work, the tools being built for use in the field, and how we can work together to build an evidence base for victim services. In this episode, we continue our discussion with Rosie Hidalgo and Rebecca Rodriguez of Casa de Esperanza with a focus on their recent Latina Research and Policy Roundtable. Now, I know that Casa de Esperanza recently held a roundtable in Washington, D.C. that brought together researchers and policy advocates. Can you tell us more about that? So every couple of years, we bring together our research um, advisory board, um, which I mentioned earlier, to come together and work with us to help identify kind of what are the current um, trends that we're seeing in the research in regards to domestic and sexual violence um, in the Latino community and to help kind of shape our agendas and where we're going in, in the future. So in 2015, we ha- held a research roundtable and invited practitioners from uh, Latina serving domestic violence organizations all over the United States. And with that meeting, we were able to together identify some critical issues that they were experiencing on the ground. And then we were able to respond to that in the last few years. Um, So for example, you know, one of the areas that they identified um, at that roundtable was the need to provide proof of the effectiveness of their work, right? So the evidence-based practice. Um, So they were asking for us to help them evaluate their programs. And we, we went into this knowing that what they were doing on the ground and providing services were effective. And they knew that uh, from the practice-based evidence that they, they were doing good work. So what we wanted to do was just to be able to provide some tools um, on how they could capture their work. Um, and we have from that uh, developed a toolkit. It's called the Building Evidence Toolkit, which you'll find on our website. And that really provides kind of gentle introduction to evaluation for programs on the ground um, to be able to do this work. And it also kind of reflects their um, language. So we use a very culturally specific metaphor of referring to evaluation as kind of like a recipe, right? Or getting the ingredients together, taste testing, and being able to improve your recipe based on those responses. Um, And that really came from from one of these uh, roundtables. So this year, um, just recently, we were able to do a similar approach where we brought together our research advisory board members and our policy council and wanted to explore more ways that we could um, support each other's work. And Rosie, you can talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, so it's interesting. Again, likewise, in the past, we have, a, have had a convening of our policy advisory council, and it's a great opportunity to get their input and in helping hear what's happening on the ground, what we're seeing as policy priorities, figuring out how to also lift up, you know, from different perspectives, recognizing that our communities are very diverse, right? The Latino community is 58 million uh, Latinas and Latinos representing more than 22 countries. Even the language diversity is actually increasing. We're seeing a lot more indigenous languages too from Central America. So things change. And even what's happening you know, on the ground is changing the way uh, policies are impacting uh, the lived realities. So it's really important to have a policy advisory council reflecting different areas of work, different parts of the country, different, you know, uh, backgrounds and, and get that input. 
And so this year we were going to potentially do two separate meetings and then in talking together decided it'd be great to combine it because we realize how important it is in our advocacy to have research that can lift up what people are seeing in communities. And anecdotes are important, right, in our policy advocacy. I find that stories and uh, the way survivors are impacted is a way to reach policymakers, you know, in the heart, right? But then you need some research to show that it's not just anecdotal, right? And the research is important, as well as then the policy recommendations that come after that. Because you can go to a policymaker and say, here's a survivor story, and by the way, here's research. But then what? Like, what are the changes we're asking for? And the more that we can know what those asks are and bring that to policymakers, the more effective we can be and bring it to our allies who are also all together through the National Task Force to End Sexual and Domestic Violence. We seek to lift up these policy priorities. So it was an opportunity for us to, to better establish a network and connections among some of those who are on our policy council and our research council and really have a very rich dialogue. It was very fruitful. And, and some of the things that emerged from that were, for example, we were identifying prevention is just a critical issue. Our communities, right, are really saying, yes, we need to pull people out of the stream, right? But when are we going to go upstream more? How are we going to really work to help change the social norms? We recognize that across all cultures, ethnicities, income levels, education levels, there is, you know, issues of sexism and gender-based violence, right? We recognize that. And yet the solutions or the way it plays out in different communities may be different as well. So we want to lift up. What are we seeing in our communities? Um, and how do we also strengthen the ability of culturally specific community-based organizations to do the work in a way that's most responsive to those needs in community? Uh, and that highlight not only risk factors that may you know, be more complex at times with intersections of issues, but also highlight what are protective factors that are richness in our culture and our community as well. So we had rich discussions from policy and and then some of our policy advocates, of course, are also practitioners. There are people providing legal services in community. There are people who are, you know, doing other kinds of advocacy at the state level. Um, and there are some who are directors of community-based organizations that work with the Latino community. So it was a rich dialogue about how do we get the research that can also lift that up? Because, for example, in the Violence Against Women Act and now through the reauthorization of the Family Violence Prevention Services Act, as well as the way VOCA dollars are reaching communities, oftentimes we find those dollars are not sufficiently going to support the work of culturally specific community-based organizations that are reaching individuals who may not go to a mainstream program, who may not want to engage in systems. And... We can talk about that, but the more we have the research that can lift that up and show what the value added is. And in fact, um, Rebecca recently had finished a research paper, too, that really highlighted the value added of trauma-informed approaches that are culturally specific. So that research can help us now as we're on the Hill and as we're talking to policymakers to make sure that how are the resources reaching our communities. Well, I'm so sorry I missed that roundtable. It sounds like what came out of it was policy advocates realizing here's research I can use in my in my work, in my meetings that are coming up or or in this bill that I'm addressing. And researchers came away with, okay, and here's what I should be thinking about for my next project. But I think even more importantly, just the opportunity to interact and collectively come come up with a vision of what's next. 
Yeah, absolutely. And something that came up that was very powerful too, one of our um, policy council members, she's a legal service provider down in South Florida. And she shared the transition that, that she has seen over the past even five years, five to 10 years of newer arrivals of immigrants who really are seeking protection from gender-based violence, right? In particularly three countries that we're aware of right now in the North, what's called the Northern Triangle, Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras, recognizing there's a whole complexity of what is happening and what's at the root of why only those three countries, because there are many other countries, but there are particular context and factors that are complex and why we now are seeing women and children who are fleeing that violence, encountering, you know, more violence and risk of trafficking, you know, even when they get here and are encountering significant barriers in seeking asylum uh, as victims of gender-based violence um, when, when their country of origin, the law enforcement was not able to provide the, the protections they need. So, but one of the things that she was highlighting is that there's more complex layers of multiple victimization and the cases themselves, the legal cases, are much more difficult right now. There have been a lot of additional change and really going backwards in a pathway to seeking the kinds of remedies that have always been there and have been received bipartisan support for immigrant survivors. But as we see many additional barriers, she's saying these legal cases are taking a lot longer. So our legal services resources are being stretched very thin. Things that legal advocates could do before, now there's a lot more risk because if someone's denied protection, now they could potentially be put quickly on a pathway to deportation, even for a U visa. Before that wasn't the case. If you were denied, it was seen as not something that merited turning over someone's information over to, to ICE. So now there's huge risks, even in immigrant victims, seeking whether or not to file a remedy that is there to, to try to provide a pathway to safety. So even that whole dialogue help people recognize that some of the research, existing research on immigrant survivors is somewhat outdated in terms of what the current context, current realities, uh, current complexities. Um, and so the some of the researchers were like, wow, this really lets us know then that even if we thought, oh, this research was done 10 years ago, we're not sufficiently reflecting what is on the ground now, as well as the need to do some studies in Latin America as well and better understand. I mean, there might be even opportunities for, for collaborations with researchers in Latin America too, to better understand some of these layers of complexity. So, but for the most part, then there was a lot of interest and even the whole issue of legal services. Then we were talking about, wow, how do we lift this up to policymakers and funders? The fact that the legal services are not reaching critical populations that need to make sure that they can seek you know, this pathway to safety as, as victims of violence. Were there any other hot button topics that came up at this meeting? Casa de Esperanza originally started with a focus on domestic violence. And over time, you know, we've really begun to realize, as has the field as a whole, right, that sometimes this work was being done in silos, those who do domestic violence work, those who do sexual assault um, or trafficking, and really people's lives inter don't exist in silos. There's a lot of complexity and intersection. And, and so we were, we're now expanding, right, to really make sure we're also listening to the voices of those who are addressing issues of sexual assault, sexual violence. But also in particular, what we've really been hearing in our communities is the critical issue of sexual violence in the workplace. And how in particular that's impacting Latinas and, and immigrant uh, Latinas, for example, immigrant farm workers 
uh, have experienced high rates of sexual assault. In fact, uh, PBS Univision did a whole documentary called Rape in the Fields and the way in which that kind of sexual violence is perpetrated with a sense of impunity, because oftentimes they know that they're preying on individuals who may be too afraid to seek help. Uh, likewise, more research is starting to come up and demonstrate, for example, those who work in the janitorial industry, those who work, you know, yeah, cleaning our buildings late at night, those who are home health aides, those who are domestic workers doing cleaning in homes are extremely vulnerable. And so that's this is a place where we're seeing a lot of grassroots advocacy, where a lot of, you know, there's a whole initiative in California called Líderes Campesinas, farm worker women really rising up and organizing and the janitorial workers too rising up and talking about these issues and the domestic workers, the National Domestic Workers Alliance. So we, we were addressing some of these complex issues of sexual violence in the workplace, how to better recognize, even when someone might be uh, talking about domestic violence, how to even ask about what they have encountered in the workplace, what is happening, because oftentimes there is, there's multiple victimization and people at times don't know how to explore all of that and how to make sure that we're reaching individuals uh, who are experiencing sexual violence in the workplace in order to help them in seeking safety and justice. And again, that, you know, connecting them to legal services, understanding what the remedies are. So that was a very rich discussion where we realized we need to do more and more collaborations across those issues. Um, another hot button issue is how do we work with those who have caused harm? And we had some rich dialogue realizing not enough research has been done in this space. What does it mean? Is there a space to talk about trauma-informed ways of working with those who've caused harm. And we, you know, we hear that from our communities. People say, I want the violence to stop, or I want this person to acknowledge the harm that they've caused, but at times they don't want to engage with systems that may end up incarcerating someone or potentially end up bringing greater harm to the, to what they see as the family if they end up homeless, you know, without access to economic resources. So we had some rich discussions. Even we had very powerful sharing of how this plays out with the LGBTQ Latino community. Uh, someone shared about this, this effort in New York City, recognizing a lot of individuals in those communities are very afraid to interact with law enforcement and, that, and want to figure out how to call out and hold accountable someone who's caused harm without necessarily potentially causing further harm to someone, let's say, who's a transgender Latina who may have caused harm in a relationship, but her partner knows that for that person to be incarcerated or, or potentially, you know, could lead to more harm to that individual. So we were having some very, these are sort of what we termed emerging issues to talk about what are these complexities, you know, how are we better serving Afro-Latinas, indigenous women who are Latinas. So we were really having some rich discussions about the need to, to do more research and more policy advocacy at the intersections. And we were also, for example, another issue that came up is we recognize, for example, in New York City that, a, that they have been, you know, making efforts to reduce the DV homicide rates, but have recognized that they're not coming down at the same rate that other crime, other homicide rates have come down, have come down. And uh, recently in a roundtable, we had um, B. Hansen, who now is coordinating the New York City Task Force on Domestic Violence, had shared that about 70% of DV homicide victims in New York City are individuals who never contacted the police. So again, we're talking about how do we provide options? How do we reach those people maybe who are too fearful to seek services and, and really, again, look at different pathways to safety? So a lot of that 
We didn't necessarily solve those issues right away. We were just highlighting emerging issues about even, you know, what does it mean to work towards transformative justice approaches? What does it mean to find better ways to work with those who've caused harm? And, and, and then, again, prevention was just something that kept coming back up. And, and the need for more, many times, you know, people are challenged, well, what's the evidence based on prevention? And that is starting to emerge more. I think the field has not had sufficient resources or opportunity to invest in really looking at prevention. I think sometimes the field comes more from a scarcity mentality where there's a sense that if all the money isn't going to victim services, you know, then we're not serving enough victims. And so it shouldn't be either or. It's both and. And how do we get more resources to continue to make sure we're reaching survivors, but also investing a lot more upstream on prevention? So that's something that was definitely a critical issue that emerged. Tell us a little bit about how you set your research agenda. So you just came off of, it sounds like this very intense and, uh, and very deep discussion. How does that then become a research agenda? Great question. Thank you. So I think um, that in addition to the roundtables that we do, Casa de Esperanza is in a, in a very unique position. Um, so we have our work locally on the ground in St. Paul, and we also have our national work. So our staff is located all over the country. And with their engagement there, we're able to, they're able to share kind of what are the unique experiences that are happening there on the ground with those Latino communities. Because, you know, as Rosie mentioned, we're, all, we're not a monolithic community. So I think that Casa de Esperanza's unique position allows us to, to really prioritize community voices in our research agenda. Yeah. So as we now leave this, you know, roundtable, we're still going to be absorbing sort of all the different input we got and be pulling that together in a report as well, where we want to highlight what, you know, some of the promising practices are, where the gaps that were identified, you know, help then lay out some priorities in terms of opportunities for research in the short term or longer term, as well as policy priorities as we continue to shape those and, you know, recognize also with the limited capacity, right, that individuals have, how do we continue to do the work that can be done through Casa de Esperanzas, National Latina Network, and, and those who are in our policy and research council, but also how do we lift this up potentially to have others be aware of these gaps and to be able to support additional research and hopefully additional funding for research. I mean, there was also a very rich discussion of what can be done with federal funding, but how do we also get more foundations and others with more flexible funding to support more research? Um, it became very clear, for example, we had some very rich dialogue about what does it mean to bring a racial equity and social justice lens to this research? What does it mean to look at issues like transformative justice um, and those who may not necessarily be engaging with the criminal legal system and the harm that's done when people don't have more widespread options. Some of that we may need additional sources of funding to really be able to take research in many different directions as well. So that'll be part of how we, how we you know, continue moving forward and identifying priorities. You all have so much going on. I know that this is a very, in some ways troubling, but also exciting time. Um, you are building such a network to address these really crucial issues. This has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you both for your time today. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Thank you. 
We hope you enjoyed this episode of Tell Us About It. If there are research or practice experts you'd like us to interview or research tools you'd like us to feature on this podcast, email us at podcasts at victimresearch.org. Tell Us About It is a production of the Center for Victim Research, funded by the Office for Victims of Crimes Vision 21 Initiative through Cooperative Agreement Number 2016-XVGXK006. The Office for Victims of Crime is part of the U.S. Department of Justice's Office of Justice Programs. However, the points of view and opinions discussed on this podcast are those of the host and expert contributors and do not necessarily represent the official position or policy of the U.S. Department of Justice.